Uh, so let's take our Bibles this evening and turn to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, as we turn into Bibles here, I uh, made some remarks about how uh, the book of Psalms is important as we think about uh, the combination both of the book of Psalms and also the book of Proverbs. And uh, both of those are really important. We've been spending some time here um, in the first psalm, and there's a reason why I believe this is the first psalm. It's not a mistake. Uh, it begins with, blessed is the man. And so it's important for us to know uh, what blessedness is all about. And blessedness is found as we read and study through the book of Psalms, uh, what it means to have a, a relationship with the Lord, where you speak with the Lord and the Lord speaks with you. And uh, we find that all throughout uh, this uh, wonderful book. As I mentioned, uh, the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs, they're certainly distinct, distinct books, but they go well together. And while Proverbs teaches us how to be wise, Psalms teaches us how to worship. Uh, while Proverbs, um, you know, or while the book of Psalms, we learn to love God, uh, in the book of Proverbs, we learn to live for God or by the rules of God. And so, uh, as, we, as you see in your notes here, I'm going to give you the blanks that we covered last week, and now I'll briefly touch on those, and then we'll continue on in what we are studying. But let's begin by reading here. Psalm 1, we'll read verse 1 through 6. The Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. I made a statement last week uh, by way of review that when we think about the first psalm and this, the blessed man, the blessed man, or this blessedness, uh, blessedness in the first chapter here is clearly the benefit of something else. It's not the goal but it is a benefit of something that we do. And so this psalm here is not instructing us to make blessedness the goal of our lives. This psalm is instructing us on what we need to do that we might enjoy this blessedness. And so um, uh, notice here, blessed is the man that walketh not. So the blessed man doesn't do certain things, but then what does he do? Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And so the Bible doesn't tell us this is what you need to do uh, in order to be blessed. This, uh, this psalm says, you want to know blessedness? Then you, blessedness is found in the person who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates in it. And so we find that it's not uh, something we're trying to attain, it's something that is when we do certain things. Uh, let me give you the blanks here by way of review. First of all, we looked at last week the contrast of blessedness. The contrast of blessedness. Verse 1 tells us what the blessed man does not do, and so that's the 
negative aspect of blessedness. And then secondly, in verse 2, we are told what the blessed man does. And so there is a contrast in verse 1 and 2. And notice in your notes, letter A, we find, first of all, a negative description. A negative description in the first verse. And so there are three things that the blessed man forsakes. Uh, And here is the order of them in your notes. And so under letter A, we find here a negative description. First of all, he forsakes the counsel of the ungodly. That's the first thing that he does. He forsakes the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Then, secondly, he forsakes the way of sinners. And thirdly, he forsakes the seat of the scornful. And we mention here how there is a progression here. We see, first of all, that Uh, The blessed man does not uh, walk in the counsel of the ungodly, does not stand in the way of sinners, does not sit in the seat of the scornful. And we talked about three things happening. First of all, uh, don't be deceived. Uh, Secondly, uh, we see his resolution, don't make a decision uh, to stand. Uh, The word stand we talked about means to be unmovable. And then the last one is don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Don't be the one who is instructing. And so there's a progression here. First of all, we see his deception, then his resolution, and then his instruction. And so letter A, we find, as I mentioned, a negative description, but notice letter B in your notes, we find a positive description. So verse 1 tells us, a blessed man does not do these things. Three things are listed there. But then verse 2 gives us the contrast. We find a positive description. This is what he does do. And I mentioned here that we must never be satisfied with negative purity. And what I mean by that is we must never think, oh, well, I'm godly because I don't do certain things. That's not a godly person. Uh, You see, uh, rejoice not in the counsel of the ungodly. Rather, blessedness never arises from a negative life. You see, I think that's what many people don't get about the Christian life. Because... People might think, oh, you Christians, you have so many rules, so many things you cannot do. And I say that's not the Christian life. Uh, the Christian life is, arises out of a positive life. The Christian life is not just about what we don't do, although there are things we don't do. The Christian life is about what we do do. Does that do do? Does that? Okay. <laughs> Letter B, we find, notice, a positive description. And so, verse 2 tells us, but his delight. So, but gives us the contrast to the negative aspect. Here's the positive aspect. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Now, um, first of all, notice we see his delight. Uh, That's the first blank under letter B. First of all, we see his delight. Now, to delight... There are two things, uh, two aspects, two important aspects to delighting. The first one, here's your next bite, he possesses, that means that he possesses a heart that loves God's Word. When we think about delighting in the law of the Lord, uh, it is a yearning uh, and a heart that loves the Word of God. You know, you come to church, I would imagine in part is because you love the Word of God. Because what we do, the main thing we do in church is we teach and preach the Word of God. 
And so I hope that you come to church because you have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. You, you want to know God. You want to know God better and you want to know His Word and you want to grow spiritually. And so uh, there's a delight. So that's, uh, He possesses a heart that loves God's Word. But there's a second aspect to delight and that is this. He possesses a desire to do God's will. So when we think about delighting, there is a heart that loves God's Word. That's true. But then there's also a desire to do God's will. And those two are present. In other words, I don't think someone can delight in the law of God and say, well, I love hearing it. I just don't want to do it. Then you don't delight in it. You see, a delight is one who has a heart for God's word, but also has a desire to do God's will. I hope the expectation when we read the word of God or study the word of God or hear the teaching and the preaching of God's word, is not only that we want to get more information, more knowledge, but that we want to know what to do. For God and how to live and please God. So first of all, we see his delight. And then secondly, in your notes, we see his meditation. So he says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And we mentioned here that meditation is an insight into the heart of man. The psalmist said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. And so meditation is an insight into the heart of man. I mentioned that meditation means literally a close or continuous thought. It is the, uh, the turning or the revolving of a subject in the mind. Uh, it is a serious contemplation in the Word of God. And so when you meditate on something, it means that it is always before you. And, uh, and so we see here that uh, you see his delight. So this we find this is the positive description We see his delight, we see his meditation, but thirdly, notice we see his seasons. That's the the blank there under letter B on the third. We see his seasons. The Bible says his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And we made the point here that obviously here there is a, a, a picture that is given to us that obviously we don't think at night we sleep. But what is he saying here that In the day season, when things are going well, we are to be in the law of God, uh, meditate in it, delight in it, and in the night season, when our circumstances are not favorable, that we should also be delighting and meditating in it. And if we do that in the day, then we will also do that in the night. And so, uh, that is the, under the first heading, the first point here is the contrast of blessedness. And so verse 1 tells us the blessed man does not do this. That's the negative aspect of blessedness. But then he tells us, verse 2, what the blessed man does, and that's the positive aspect of blessedness. And he does three things, delights, meditates, and he does so in all seasons of life. And so now we come to the second point, which is where we're going to spend some time now, pick it up where we left off in our study from last week. And so uh, Roman number two, Roman number one was the, the contrast of blessedness. But then we also see number two is the comparison of blessedness. So now we move to verse three and four. And notice what he says in verse three. And he, he shall be. Now, who is the he? Who are we talking about? Well, if we uh, go backwards, verse 2, we are talking about someone who delights in the law of the Lord and someone who meditates in it day and night. And if we backtrack one more step, we say that's the person who knows blessedness. Blessed is the man that delights, meditates in all seasons of his life. 
He, the same man, so we're not talking about a different person here. The person who does that, here is a comparison, something that we can try to think about. All right, blessedness is someone who does this, and someone who does this experiences blessedness. But now we have a picture. What does blessedness look like? What is it like? And here is what it's like, verse 3. He shall be like, that's a comparison. He's showing us here blessedness. We, we know what it does when you experience blessedness. But what is it like? What is the benefit? Oh, what, what is a way that we could try to think about, all right, when someone is blessed, these are the things that are experienced in this person's life. We know what he does, delights, meditates. But what's the benefit? What does that bring about in a person's life? So this is the description of blessedness. Verse 2 is how we experience blessedness. Verse 3 is what it's like to be blessed. All right? So he is like a tree, notice, planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not weather, and whatsoever he doeth, shall prosper. So here in the following two verses, the blessed man is compared to a tree. And then we come to verse 4, and we have the ungodly, the Bible says, are not so. Not so like what? Like the tree. But they're like what? They're like chaff, which the wind driveth away. And so there's a comparison here of blessedness is like a tree, And the ungodly is like chaff. So there's a comparison both to the godly and to the ungodly. So let's talk here about uh, letter A in your notes. We see the blessed man is like a tree. He is like a tree. Now, that's not all we know. He's not just like a tree. There are some details that are given about that tree. You see, what we have to ask ourselves here, what is the place of blessedness? Uh, In other words, what does that mean for us when we experience blessedness? And I mentioned last week that blessing does not mean, right, possessions, many possessions or or wealth. Uh, It means having the favor of God upon our lives, knowing, uh, having a, a peace and a joy in our lives that is not connected to our circumstances. Now, that's all that the world knows. Happiness is found in circumstances, right? By what happens in your life and by what doesn't happen in your life. And we know that blessedness we're talking about is not dependent on circumstances. It is true no matter what the circumstances are. And so we need to know what that life is. And so the place of blessedness here is described by this tree. Uh, We learn something about this blessedness in the description uh, that is given here. So notice here this description He is like a tree, but notice here, here are the details of this tree. It's not just any tree. I think we would all agree that when you, if you've traveled or even in your own yard, you've worked on trees. I think a few years ago, I cut a tree in your backyard that was dead. It just was rotten on the inside. It needed to be cut down. And so we we know that there are trees that are alive, that are healthy. We know there are other trees that are dead and they're about to die or they're dying inside and you, you don't know it. Uh, so what tree or what kind of tree are we talking about? Well, uh, let's look here at the details. The Bible says he shall be like a tree planted. That's the first thing we know about this tree. It is planted. If you've ever been to, a, I guess, a, is it called a nursery, a tree nursery, right? Sometimes they'll have a bunch of trees laying down that are to be planted later. They're not planted yet, but they are to be planted. 
The Bible says here this is a tree planted. Notice, it's not only planted, but it's planted by the rivers of water. And then the Bible says that same tree brings forth fruit in his season. We know about seasons. Uh, when fruit, it's not year-round, but there are seasons of fruitfulness. Uh, the Bible says also that his leaves shall not wither. It's interesting because we, we might think at this point that, wait, wait a minute, we know that all fruit trees, I mean, we know there's evergreen trees that stay green in the winter, but fruit trees, the leaves wither. So this fruit tree here, the leaf does not wither. So that's a, that's a different type of tree. And then there's one more thing that we are told in verse 3, and that, and that is, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So here's what we know about this place of blessedness. What is this place of blessedness? Number one, blessedness, first of all, is a place of stability. Now I want you to keep in mind here what he says in the next verse, that the ungodly are like chaff. And so we're going to see here, he's going to say in verse 4, the ungodly are not so. Not so like what? Like the tree. And so everything that he tells us about the tree, it's the exact opposite for the ungodly. And so we see here that blessedness is a place of stability. How do we know that? Because he says that he shall be like a tree, the Bible says, planted. And so a tree that is planted is a tree that is stable. It's amazing when you uh, study trees, and I, I'm not a, a tree expert, uh, you know, but I know a little bit about trees is that there's roots. And the roots grow. The, the roots grow, and as the a tree grows on the outside, what is visible, we know it also grows underneath. And the higher the tree goes, the deeper the root the roots go as well. Why? Because while the higher it goes, the, the, the greater foundation it needs underneath. And so when a tree is planted, uh, the blessedness that he's talking about here is a place of stability. The prophet Jeremiah mentions a similar tree. If you go with me to Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, a few books over from the book of Psalms. Jeremiah chapter 17. Uh, notice with me, let's read two verses here, verse 7 and 8. It's interesting that he, he mentions that word blessed as well. Jeremiah chapter 17, and uh, notice verse 7. What's the first word? Blessed. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. Here it is, verse 8. For he, who? The blessed man that trusts in the Lord. He shall be as a tree planted by the waters. That's similar to what we read. Notice, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the years of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. So there's similarities here, but what he adds to us here is that blessedness is like a tree, but the Bible says, but the roots go deep. The, the roots... Uh, uh, spread out by the river. And so as the roots spread, it's, it's, it's interesting when you think about trees uh, that if the roots are in the ground and it's a dry season, then the tree will uh, grow its roots to go deeper in the ground to find water deeper. So sometimes when the tree is not even fed, it goes, the roots go even deeper. Why? Looking for food. 
tree for uh, or water for for nourishment. And so we see here that uh, blessedness here is a place of stability. And so Jeremiah here mentioned that the roots of the tree are spread out. Deep roots give stability to the tree. When the storm comes, that means that the, the tree is able to stand strong, planted in the ground when the storm comes. Now remember, the blessed man... Uh, he delights in the law of the Lord and he meditates when? Day and night. So that tells us about this tree that it is planted and whether, whatever, it, when, if it is the day season or the night season, it stands strong. Why? Because it's planted. So it's a place of stability. So blessedness. What is blessedness? How is it described? It's described as this stability. You see, blessedness is part of the life of those who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate in His law day and night. And stability is part of the life of those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate in the law of the Lord. You see, many people today, they go about attempting to create a stable life for themselves. Say, well, I need stability. Uh, and, and so they're, they're guided by a desire, right, to, to be stable. They want, well, I want a stable life, and I want a stable job, and I want a, a home that I can pay for, and I want a, a, a dependable car. I, I don't want any problems. I want stability in my life. Well, stability is the result of something else. Remember, blessedness is the result of something else, of what? Delighting and meditating. And so the tree, he's like a tree planted by the rivers of water. He is planted, he is stable. But understand, that's the description of blessedness. It is the result of something else. You see, we cannot have stability in our lives spiritually without a firm foundation of delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating in it every season of our life. Blessedness is a place of stability. The second thing we notice here in this description is that blessedness is a place of satisfaction. Satisfaction. You know, a good term that would describe the world would be unsatisfied. Right? I mean, it's, uh, think about even the, the, the political movement. Uh, whatever uh, party is in, in charge, there's always people complaining. Why? Because often they want to blame somebody for their problems. For the problems that they brought upon themselves. Uh, they lose their job. It's the government's fault. And so they get all upset and they, there's a, there's, they, nobody is ever satisfied. Uh, they did a survey of people about their jobs. How many people love their jobs? And the overwhelming majority of Americans don't love their job. They wish they could have another job. I'll tell you what kind of job they want. They want to sit on their couch, sip on some coffee all day, and get paid for it. That's the type of job they want. They're, why? They're not satisfied. They buy a new car. They, they have all the bells and whistles. And a few months later, they want to get a new one. Why? They're not satisfied. But blessedness is a place of satisfaction. Notice what he says. He shall be like a tree planted by the what? The rivers of water. Now, the tree here is not just planted, notice, by a river. That's not what he says. I brought that up last week. It is said to be planted by rivers, plural, of water. And so here there is not just one river. There are many rivers. Uh, the psalmist does not here give us the number of rivers that there are. But this tells us that there is an abundance, an abundance of rivers all around that tree that has been planted. And somebody, somebody might say, well, uh, well uh, the tree only needs one river. 
But the point is we're talking here about the blessed life. And the blessed life means that there's an abundance of something that satisfies. What satisfies the tree? Like water. Nothing. So this tells us that there's an abundance of rivers all around the tree that has been planted. This tells us that uh, the tree receives everything it needs on every side in every season of the year constantly. It, it in other words, the, the, here, drought is not an option when there's rivers of water. Not just one. What if one runs dry? There's another one. What if the, the other one, there's another one. There's rivers of water. And so this is a tree that will never go unsatisfied. That's blessedness. Uh, blessedness is the place of satisfaction. So blessedness is what? It's satisfaction. Uh, a New Testament term tells us that godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment, what is that? Being satisfied with what you have. Blessedness is the place of satisfaction. You see, blessedness is part of the life of those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate in the law of the Lord. And so satisfaction is part of the life of those who delight and meditate in the law of the Lord. So we see that blessedness is a place of stability. Number two, blessedness is a place of satisfaction. Thirdly, blessedness is a place of fruitfulness. Notice what the Bible says here. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. Now remember, he is describing blessedness. What is it like? It's like a tree. It's like a tree that's planted. Stability. It's like a tree that's by rivers. Satisfaction. It's like a tree that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. So that's fruitfulness. You see, when a tree is planted... It is always planted with an expectation that the tree will bring forth fruit. That's the expectation. And it produces and it gives what is intended to produce and to give. And so blessedness is what? What is blessedness? It's fruitfulness. That's what that is. Well, you say, well, what is fruitfulness? Well, there certainly we can think about many things, but I think what we can think about the most is that uh, in the Old Testament, at least, when uh, God referred to Israel as a vine, that she was to bring forth fruit, that was the expectation of that fruit. What, was the, uh, what, was, uh, the, what were they to do? To make the Lord known throughout all the nations. And if they failed to do so, that He would cut them out. And, and when we think about the New Testament, we think about fruit, we think about the fruit of the Spirit. Well, it's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. Against us there is no law. And so when we think about fruitfulness, understand we know about fruit when Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are of the branches. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. And so understand that fruit bearing is not something that we're chasing after. It's the result of blessedness. Because that's the description of blessedness. Blessedness is fruitfulness. Sometimes I feel like we may think that, well, I, I want the blessing of God. And we pray, God, would you bless me? Bless us all. Make us fruitful. But what if we don't do what we're supposed to do to be fruitful? What are we supposed to do? Well, verse 2. Delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate therein day and night. 
And if you do that, you will be like a tree that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. Sometimes we might be trying too hard to try to produce fruit on our own. Where we should seek after delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating in his word day and night. So blessedness is a place of fruitfulness. So we see here it's a place of stability, a place of satisfaction, a place of fruitfulness. But also number four, blessedness is a place of good spiritual health. I couldn't find one word, so here's three words. Now, why would I say that? Well, notice he adds something else. He says that his leaf also shall not wither. His leaf shall not wither. So, now we know that there are a classification of trees, evergreen trees, that they stay green through the winter. So, in other words, they, they don't wither and die. Now, most trees, they, the leaf withers, and then it falls off, and then we have to rake all the leaves in the fall. That's a lot of work. But fruit trees don't have green leaves year-round. They're like most trees, fruit trees. Now, this is a tree that bears fruit, so we're assuming it's a fruit tree. And yet, that leaf does not wither. So what does that tell us here? You see, there are a number of things that cause the leaves of a tree to wither. The first, which happens annually in the fall, is the coming winter, right? And so... Uh, the cold sets in, the leaves change, and it's beautiful. God's creation is wonderful. And uh, they wither, and then the wind comes, and it just blows them away, and, and then they wither and they die. Another common cause, if you don't do go through the seasons process, uh, another common reason for withering of leaves is, is drought or even heat. Uh, sometimes, even if it gets really hot in the summer, we, uh, we remember taking a trip in the desert in Arizona there, and we drove, and the speed limit was 80 miles an hour. It was wonderful. <laughs> well, it was, the roads were straight, and there was nobody. And so we were driving down, and there was nothing green. You know why there's nothing green? Because it's dry, and there's no rain. The sun is too hot for any greenery. Now, the only thing green, I guess, is every once in a while you'll see a cactus out there. But the point is, it's not a conducive environment for a tree. And so if you plant a healthy tree in that Arizona desert, you're going to find those leaves withering and they're not coming back. Why? Because of the drought and because of the heat. You see, so the tree we're talking here about is that the leaf, does not wither. So what is the psalmist trying to say? Well, blessedness here is basically somebody, somebody who remains in good spiritual health despite outside circumstances. Right? If the coal brings about the withering of the leaves of any fruit tree, and if the heat and the drought, those are outside circumstances... And so here we have a fruit tree, and so when the winter comes, the leaves don't wither. So that means that blessedness is somebody who remains in good health despite outside circumstances. So it is someone, like we said, uh, they delight and they meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. And so here what is described of this tree is not typical of a tree that bears fruit. Uh, when it seems that the leaf should, uh, should winter, uh, should wither, it doesn't. And when it seems that the leaf should die, it does not. Now this is compared to what? Chaff. Now we're going to get to chaff in just a moment. 
But what's the chaff? Well, the chaff is the part, the, the outer skin of a grain that withers and dries and it flies away. It goes through the process of nature. And by the way, we look around us and the world goes through the process of nature. When things are going well in, their, in the lives of the world, uh, they're well and they're happy and everything's wonderful. But then the circumstances change and it's the end of the world. You see, that's how the world looks at things. But the blessed man is not so. His leaf does not wither. What should naturally take place does not. Why? Because they're doing something that maintains good spiritual health. So when it seems that their circumstances should cause them to wither, they do not. That should be describing the Christian life. So when it seems that the leaf should die, it, it does not. You see, blessedness is what? It's good spiritual health. But there's one more thing here, and that is, so we see, let me uh, recap here. Blessedness is a place of stability. It is a place of satisfaction. It is a place of fruitfulness, and it is a place of good spiritual health. And let me say, all these things, that's the result of what God does in our lives through His Word. And it doesn't matter what season of life we're in. That's what God does in our lives. That's blessedness. But there's another thing he says, and this is perhaps not connected to the tree, but it is connected to the tree. But he says, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now he mentions he, so he departs from the tree. But he, he basically tries to sum everything up and says, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now, I, I think it's important here that we need to correct the modern idea of prosperity. You know, at first, I didn't want to use that word because it's often understood, uh, misunderstood as a word. However, it's a Bible word, and it's in Psalm 1, so let's not avoid it. Uh, instead of changing the word, how about we just define the word? All right, so let's do this. The word prosper, as used in Psalm 1-3, literally means, that's what the word literally means, to push forward, to break out, to come through mightily. Okay, that, that's what the word means. Prosperity in the Bible is not, although it is used sometimes, but it is not always the equivalent to ease, comfort, monetary abundance, or the abundance of possessions. When it is referred to as that is when the psalmist thinks about the prosperity of the wicked, but not his prosperity. So when we think about the Bible here, the word uh, prosperous, I don't think has the... I guess the idea of what we think about it today when we think about somebody who is in prosperity or someone who is prospering. So we might think as prosperity as being a promotion of the job. Well, God has made me to prosper. And certainly it involves that. But let's think about an example in Isaiah 53. Let's go to Isaiah 53. If you turn there with me, let's think about an example of how this word is used. And maybe it will give us uh, some clarity. Isaiah 53, notice now we know this chapter. It's a messianic chapter about the Lord Jesus Christ, about His death uh, on the cross, the fact that He would be a substitution for us. And so we, we've referred to this chapter many times, but I want you to notice here if we uh, go to verse 10 and 11. So Isaiah 53, verse 10, the Bible says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. Now who's the Him talking about? That's Jesus Christ. He... God hath put him, Christ, to grief. When thou shalt make his soul, Christ's soul, an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, 
He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall what? Prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquity. So think about the context here of that word prosper. We're thinking about the cross. What? I would guarantee you that if the thieves on the cross, when they died on the cross for crimes they committed, they wouldn't say, I'm prospering. So what is he talking about here? Well, let's think about it. The Bible says here, the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That's the hand of Christ. The, notice he said uh, uh, at the beginning of verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And then at the end of the verse, the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now this is the work of salvation for the redemption of man. Uh, it is by the hand of Christ that the pleasure of the Lord has prospered. So what is prospered here? Well, what prospered? The Lord's pleasure. You see that? The pleasure of the Lord hath prospered. What prospered? The pleasure of the Lord. So here's what we learn. The work that the Lord wanted to do for, man's, uh, for man, the work that the Lord wanted to do for man, prospered in what Christ accomplished on the cross. We could put it that way. Satan was not able to stop it. Mankind was not able to derail redemption's plan. The Lord, He purposed and resolved to reconcile man to Himself. And so the Lord, He set out to accomplish a plan of redemption. And that plan that He had, it prospered. That means it succeeded. It came through in Christ. Therefore, we conclude that to prosper means this. To succeed in that which God has purposed and resolved to do in our lives. Let me say that again. We conclude that to prosper means to succeed in that which God has purposed and resolved to do in our lives. You see, it is man succeeding in reaching the potential God has for him in this life. We're going to reach the potential He has for us in eternity because we're going to be glorified. But what about this life? What does it mean to prosper? Does it mean that God just gives us a bunch of money and a big house and many cars? Or should it be that to prosper means to succeed in that which God has purposed and resolved for our lives? Let's think about an example. Joshua 1, 7 and 8. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So he says, get the law of God before your eyes. And when you do this, then you will have good success. You will prosper. So we see, first of all, there's the right direction. What's the right direction? We're following, meditating, delighting in the law of the Lord. That gives us direction. And then when we have that direction, 
we're able to prosper. Why? Because God has something for us, the potential He wants us to, 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 to reach, and He wants to succeed in that. But the law of the Lord has to be present in us. You know, we think about another example. For example, Joseph, he prospered in all that he set out to do. That's a good example. Now turn with me to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis 39. Joseph prospered in all that he set out to do, whether it was in the house of Potiphar, or whether it was as the keeper of the prison. The Bible says that the Lord was with him, and the Lord... Well, what, what, what was the Lord doing in the life of Joseph? Let's look. You know, Genesis 39. So Je- he is in Genesis 39. He is in the house of Potiphar serving. He's a slave. That's what he, where he is. But notice verse 3. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to what? Prosper in his hand. Verse 2 says, And the Lord was with Joseph and he was a prosperous man. Well, wait, if we think about in today's economy, he was a prosperous man, he's a slave. God says he's a prosperous man. Why would he say that? He's a slave. Uh, It it gets even worse. You go to uh, verse 23. So he was falsely accused, we know, by Potiphar's wife. Then he is put in prison. And notice verse 23, And the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Did God make uh, Joseph rich? No. Did he give him much of possessions? No. So what does it mean? It means that Joseph succeeded in what God purposed and resolved for his life. He succeeded in that. You mean as a slave and as a prison keeper? That's exactly what I mean. You see, Joseph prospered, and yet, while he was prospering, he was falsely accused. Joseph was imprisoned, and yet, he was still prospering. You see, God had something for Joseph's life that he was unaware of at this point. However, Joseph... Prospered. Joseph continued to succeed in what God had for him. You see, that's what success is. That's what prosperity is. It's us succeeding in what God has for us. That's true prosperity. You see, Joseph came through these difficulties. Remember what I said about what the word prosper means? It literally means to push forward, to break out, to come through mightily. Did Joseph come through those trials mightily? Oh, yes, he did. He prospered. You see, Joseph came through these difficulties and prospered all the way to being second in command uh, to uh, the Egyptian Pharaoh. You see, his prosperity was not found as a ruler. His prosperity was found all along the way. You remember when he was grabbed a hold of by Potiphar's wife? He says, I cannot do this great wickedness and sin against God. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight shall be in the law of the Lord. His delight, what is that? A heart for God's word 
and a desire to do His will. And in His law doth He meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree. Was Joseph a tree? Planted? Stable? Of course he was. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Uh, was uh, Joseph satisfied? Did he, did he need to go in, in immorality to satisfy him? No, he was already satisfied. He bringeth forth his fruit in his season. Did he become fruitful? Oh, yes, he did. His leaf also shall not wither. You know, when he was serving, he got to the best servant position in the house of Potiphar, and then he went all the way down to the dungeons in Egypt. And guess what? His leaf did not wither in that season of his life. And so that's why when he was on the mountaintop or when he was in the, in the night season, he prospered in whatever he did. And then he rose up to second command, Whatsoever he doeth shall Prosper. You see, prosperity was true of the life of David when he was a slave and when he was a king. That's true prosperity. So we spent some time here talking about letter A. Let's go back to the notes here. We find a, or a, uh, the blessed man is like a tree, letter A, but letter B, notice, the ungodly man is like chaff. All right, so he says in verse 4, the ungodly are not so. Not so like what? Like the tree. The ungodly are not like that. But what are they like? Well, they are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. And so here he says, the ungodly are not so. The ungodly are not like the tree that is described in verse 3. The ungodly knows nothing of the blessedness that is described in verse 3. You see, the ungodly is not stable. The ungodly is not satisfied. The ungodly man is not fruitful. He is not uh, in good spiritual health, and he does not prosper. He is not like a tree. He is not like a planted tree. He is not like a tree by, planted by the rivers of water. He, he, he does not bring forth fruit like that tree. And his leaf does wither. Why? Because he's like chaff. Now, what is chaff? He is like chaff which the wind driveth away. Well, chaff in the Bible is a word generally used in reference to the husks of the corn or the wheat. Uh, it can be described as, if we were to describe it, as the dry, scaly, protective casing of a grain. So if you have the husk of corn right, you have to tear the corn open, but all that outside layer, it all withers and dies. Okay, That could be considered the chaff. When you think about wheat, you have the little grains, there's a little shell that covers that little grain, that's the chaff. And so chaff is indigestible by humans, but sometimes livestock eat it. But if something, uh, sometimes it is given as feed to livestock, but it is considered uh, generally as waste material that is either plowed in the field or, uh, uh, or burned. Now in contrast to the tree, the chaff, think about it, ha has no root, it has no moisture, there's no green, greenness, there's no fruitfulness, it does not bring about anything. There is nothing in chaff that is substantial at all. 
There is no use for it, and it is therefore driven away by the wind. You see, the chaff is the discarded part of the corn or the grain. Let me give you, a, when Jesus Christ, uh, I think that's, yeah, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 12, you have the reference there in your notes. Um, the Bible says here, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat in the garner, but he will burn up the chaff which with unquenchable fire. Now he have, we have a description here of what is alluded to in Psalm 1. You see, Matthew 3.12 speaks of the harvesting of wheat. Wheat is the grain from which we get today our uh, white flour, which is generally or most commonly used for bread. Uh, after rice, the grain, wheat grain, is the most used grain in the world. There are many types of grain, such as red wheat and white wheat and bald wheat and bearded wheat and winter wheat and summer wheat. Uh, and we think about here, after the harvesting of wheat, the husks of corn or the wheat is to be separated from the grain by being thrown into the air and the wind blowing away the chaff while the grain is saved. Now here in Matthew, we have this reference here talking about the fact the Lord is coming in judgment whose fan is in his hand. We think about a fan, right? The wind blowing. He will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the gardener, for he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So what is he talking about here? He is alluding there that between the righteous and the wicked, that the righteous represents the grain, and the wicked represents the chaff, the outer shell of the grain. And when Jesus Christ comes, he will separate the chaff from the grain at harvest time. Let me give you an illustration. So, Back in the day, the wheat was harvested. Uh, after the harvest, they would basically, uh, you read in the Bible about a threshing floor. So a threshing floor, if you think about a, a, a wheat field, they would have basically on that flat field an elevated spot, probably in a circle, and that was called the threshing floor. So what they would do is they would bring the wheat on the threshing floor. And there would be various ways that they would do it, but if they would lay out all the wheat, and then they would often... Um, uh, attach sometimes a uh, wooded board, uh, board, a wooden board uh, to a colt, and basically uh, the, the farmer would take the colt and he would lead the colt as he was pulling the board around in the threshing floor. And so he would lead the colt around, and what would happen is the wheat that was on the ground, as the board passed over the wheat, it would kind of rub against uh, the wheat grain. And then the chaff from the grain would be separated on the threshing floor. And so when that was done over and over again on the threshing floor, it got to the point where the farmer decided, well, that's enough. I think that the chaff and the grain has been separated. And then he would take an instrument which probably looked like uh, probably a shovel, and then he would scoop up the grain and the chaff, and they would typically be on the middle of a field or a place where you could have the wind, and then he would grab the shovel, and then he would throw that into the air, and then the, the grain and the chaff would rise up, but since the chaff has no value, it's just like a, really a powdery substance when it is all threshed out, that when it is thrown up, the weight of the grain falls straight down, but the chaff is driven away by the wind. And by the way, you don't even need a strong wind at all. That's how light the chaff is. 
Now, when, when uh, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ speaks of that, they say that's exactly, when Jesus Christ comes again, that's exactly what's going to happen. The grain and the chaffer is going to be separated. The, the Bible says in Matthew 3, 2, whose fan is in his hand. Whose hand? The Lord's hand. The fan is. It's going to blow the chaff away, uh, and he will thoroughly purge his floor. Uh, when you did not use the coal, uh, men would come together, and they would use sticks, and they would beat down the grain. Why? To separate the chaff from the grain, and then they would do the same thing. They would uh, uh, scoop it up and throw it in the air, and then the chaff would be driven away. And that's exactly what is going to be at the coming of the Lord. Uh, if the chaff, for example, you think about the chaff of the corn, uh, that's, I guess you could say, bigger. Often they would just burn those. Chaff of wheat is so light, there's no sense of burning. It's just like powder and it just flies away. So do you see the extreme comparison? Remember the first point of the tree is his stability. The roots go into the ground. The chaff is driven by the wind. Now, it's not just true of judgment here. We're talking in Psalm 1 about in this present life. Why is our world just swayed directions all the time? Something new comes down the pike, pike and crazy ideas. That boys and girls are not different, that they're the same. That type of thing. What is that? That's the ungodly being driven like chaff. They, they, it's almost like they can't even control their, there's no stability in the world without the word of God but can I say there's also no stability in the Christian life without being planted and delighting and meditating in the law of the Lord both day and night that's why he said later in 1 Timothy he says there are many believers who are tossed to and fro and, and carried about with every wind of doctrine there's no stability in their life. Why? Because they're not planning in the Word of God. And so new doctrine comes down the pike and you just chase after it. That's a description of the ungodly. No stability at all. So, the chaff, notice the ungodly man is like chaff. The blessed man is like a tree. But we come here to the last point. And that is this, number three, and we're done. It's at the back there. The certitude of blessedness. Notice verse 5 and 6. The Bible says here, Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So we see here the certitude of blessedness. There is certitude, think about those words that are mentioned here. The ungodly shall not stand. That sounds like certitude. Shall not. It's not going to happen. He also says, the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. That's certitude. The word knoweth here is used in the uh, present ongoing tense. He always knows. He knows everything. Why? Because he's God. He is omniscient. He knows all. So, letter A, notice we see the certitude of the ungodly. There's two things we know about the ungodly in verse 5 and 6. First of all, the ungodly will be brought low. Do you notice what he says in verse 5? Therefore, the ungodly shall not, what's the word? Stand in the judgment. Now remember, verse 1, don't stand in the way of sinners. The word stand there means unmovable. And so the ungodly things, when they're going to meet God... That they're going to be unmovable, but they're not going to stand. 
On that day, they're going to say, I was wrong, and they're going to get on their hands and their knees before a holy God, and they're going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They're not going to stand in the judgment. They're going to be on their knees. And so we see here the ungodly will be brought low on uh, one day. Now notice here, therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the future in, uh, in the judgment. And he also says, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So first of all, the ungodly will be brought low. But secondly, the ungodly also will be separated. Notice he says, the sinner nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So that's the illustration of the chaff, which we find later in the New Testament. There's a separation between the wheat and the chaff. The chaff goes away, the wheat falls down, and there's a separation there. And so the Bible says that sinners are not going to stand, or they're not going to be part of the congregation of the righteous in a, a, a day coming. And so this is the certitude of the ungodly. And the Bible asks us to why, because here, notice, there's a difference between our lives presently and what is coming. You see, much of the book of Psalms is a psalm is saying, I'm really struggling with how the wicked prospers. Why doesn't God do something about it? And here, the Bible gives us the certitude that God is going to do something about it. You see, the reason why often we may get discouraged to live a life that pleases God is because nobody around, around us is doing it. And God says, there's coming a reckoning day, and you can... Take it as a certitude. You see the certitude of the ungodly. The ungodly will be brought low, and the ungodly will be separated. Then you have the certitude for the blessed. Or you could say the blessed or the righteous. And here it is twofold. First of all, the blessed or the righteous are known. God is not unjust to forget your labor of love. You see, the truth is, if you live for God... God knows it. He knows what you're doing. He sees it. And you may feel sometimes that you're the only one living for the Lord. Whether it's at your place or maybe some of you in your homes. And you feel you're only... God knows. And He sees. And you can take that for certitude. God knows. But then there's another thing we see in that all... The blessed are known, but also secondly, the blessed will be exalted. He says in verse 5, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand uh, in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So, notice he says, The ungodly will not stand in the judgment, nor will he stand, nor the sinner will stand in the congregation of the righteous. But who's going to stand in the congregation of the righteous? The righteous. You see, the righteous will go into eternity still standing like he stood in this world in, as a tree in this blessedness. And then when he goes into eternity, he will continue to stand. And while it seems that in this world the wicked are standing, one day they will not be standing. You see, we need to be found unmovable in this life. How can we be unmovable? Like a tree. If we delight in the law of the Lord, if we meditate in His law day and night, then we experience that blessedness. Blessedness gives us that stability. You see, this psalm begins with blessedness, and it ends with what word? What's the last word of the psalm? Perish. 
You see the contrast here? Blessed is the man, the last words, the ungodly shall perish. But notice what he says. Blessed is the man that is presently. Verse 2, his delight is today. Not then, not in eternity. You see, too many Christians, I think we, we might live, well, I'm looking forward to heaven I'm looking forward to having eternal life. I'm looking forward to rejoicing in the Lord. But God says, no, do it today. Don't wait for eternity. Do it today. Experience, know what the blessedness of God means today while you're in the world. You see, as believers, we are to focus on what is today and remember what will be. And think about what will be. You see, blessedness is not found in the end of the road. We understand that? Blessedness is not found at the end of the road when we reach eternity. That's not what blessedness is about. Now certainly that will be a blessed time. But blessedness described in someone is not then. Blessedness is now. You see, blessedness that we're talking about in someone is found today. So there's two questions here in the, in the, in the lesson. First of all, Am I experiencing this blessedness described in someone? Well, where is blessedness found? When we delight in the one who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates in it day and night. That's what accompanies what we, when we do this. Blessedness. And what is it like? Well, verse 3. Like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth his fruit and his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. It's not about chasing prosperity and fruitfulness and stability. That's the result of something else. So, am I experiencing this blessedness described in someone? And the second question is, what must I change in my life to know this blessedness? The truth is, after all those details, all this preaching and teaching throughout this chapter, there's one important verse, and that's verse 2. Verse 1, blessed is the man tells us what the blessed man does. The man who does verse 2 knows what it means to be blessed. The man who does verse 2 is like a tree in verse 3. He's not trying to be a tree. That's what he's like. And he's not like the ungodly. So verse 2 is the key. We have to ask ourselves, all right? What must I do to change in my life to know this blessedness? Focus on verse 2. Delight. Have a heart. For the word of God and have a desire to do his will. Meditate in the law of the Lord day and night, all season of your life. And you will not do it at the night if you don't do it in the day. And so may the Lord help us to focus on that. See, the, the first song, there's a lot of details around this, but the focus here, what, what is it? Okay, let me put it this way. What is, it, what is our goal? What are we chasing after? What are we trying to do in our lives? We shouldn't be chasing after blessedness. We shouldn't be chasing after stability or fruitfulness or success or prosperity. We should be chasing the Lord. Delight in the law of the Lord. Notice he doesn't say in the law. The law of the Lord. And in His law meditating day and night. You see it's about a relationship with the Lord. And that's where blessedness is found. So blessedness is not the absence of trouble 
Blessedness is communion and fellowship with the Lord. That's what blessedness is. And there's a lot of wonderful results. A lot of life comes out of that. And so may the Lord help us. By the way, if we get this right, if we get this first psalm squared away, then the remainder of the book of Psalms will be of much greater benefit to us than if we don't work diligently in making sure that we're doing what we must do from Psalm 1.